morning, Harmony. How we doing? Doing good? That was kind of weak, guys. That was pretty weak. You're in the most beautiful place in the world you could possibly be because you are in God's house surrounded by God's family. So how we doing? There we go. All right, so we're starting off a brand new series called I Am. In this series, what we're going to be focused on is we're going to be going through these seven statements in the book of John that Jesus starts with the words, I am. And why this is an important series for us to get into is it's important for us to really, truly understand who Jesus is. This is not a religion, this is a relationship. And don't, don't get me wrong there. I, I hear a lot of young people go, oh, I'm, I'm in a relationship, I'm not religious. I'm religious. You should strive to be religious too, because a lot of the religion that's given to you is given to you by God Almighty. It's His rituals, it's His traditions, it's His things He asks you to do. Now the point of that statement when they want to say they're in a relationship, they're not religious, is that religion in and of itself has no value. So us coming to church without knowing who Jesus is means nothing. Us singing songs to Jesus when we don't know who He is means nothing. Us taking the Lord's Supper if we don't believe that proclaims the truth of who Jesus is means nothing. So relationship has to be first and foremost for any of the religious things to actually carry value. The problem is, is a lot of us though, we turn Christianity into a way of life. And a lot of us, when we read the Word, when we study the Word, when we hear a sermon, what we're first and foremost doing is thinking about us. And we're going, okay, so what's the moral application of that? All right, great story. What's pastor want me to go do? And we think of the things that you and I need to do to be better versions of us. And really what I want you to kind of get over is, it's not about you. This isn't about you being a better you. You shouldn't be here so you have a better marriage. You shouldn't be here so you have a better house. You shouldn't be here so you have a better life. You should be here because you're in love with Jesus Christ. You should be here because you've come face to face with Him. And in Him you see someone that you desire to spend every moment of your life with. You find someone in Him that you know you've got to be around. Now, yes... When you're around Him, will things get better? Absolutely. He teaches you how to love differently. He teaches you how to value life differently. He teaches you how to have passion and purpose and to understand that you're part of the eternal, not just the temporary. And as He gives those perspectives to us, it has no choice but to completely change the way we look at life, how we interact, and how we live. But that's not the point. The point is to know Him. A lot of you people know about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. You can tell me facts and figures, you can tell me stories, you can describe Him, but you don't actually have actual experiences with Him. I told you that before, it's like the difference between me describing my favorite celebrity versus describing my wife. With my wife, I'm going to talk about the things we've been through, what we've done, how she's been there for me, what's happened in our lives, the personality that she has, the love that she's shown me. With a celebrity or an athlete, I might talk about how tall they are, how many points they average per game, what school they went to, what position they play, what number they are. But none of those things are about their character. And some of you, when you describe Jesus, it kind of sounds like, oh yeah, son of God, perfect, walked on water, did a lot of miracles died, came back. Yeah, literally anybody could say those things. Anybody could. I mean, if you just want to know facts about Jesus, Satan has each and every one of you beat. He knows more about Jesus than you will ever know, but he is never going to be confused for a Christian. In fact, it was funny as I was studying schools when I was younger, um, I was interested in, in the Ivy League schools because most of them actually started as religious institutions. Harvard, Princeton, a lot of those schools started to teach clergy. And what's funny is they still have world-renowned theological departments. However, what's interesting is most of the theology professors are not believers. They simply approach theology like they would approach math. It's something to learn. Something to study. 
something to understand, but it's not a relationship. And so what I want you thinking about as we go through this series is forget you. My hope is not that you get these, hear these sermons and go, oh, this is going to change the things I'm going to do this week. No. I hope what these do is they wake you up to realize you have an awesome God. You have an amazing Lord. And that you want to be with Him more. I hope that's what you get out of it. So let's dig in a little bit. Um, key to the series. So there's a couple of verses I want you to keep in mind as we go throughout this over the next seven weeks. First one, Exodus 3.14. In Exodus 3.14, Moses is called by God at the burning bush and he's given this unbelievable mission. Go free my people. And Moses is like, my big concern here, God, is when I show up and tell the Israelites that it's time to go, they're going to wonder, like, who are you? And why should we follow you? And so God goes, I'll tell you who I am. You tell them I sent you. And when they ask you who I am, this is what you say. I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. The Old Testament name of God is Yahweh, which means I am the I am. And the beauty of that statement is when you really think about it is, God's telling you and I, you can't define me. So many times the, the, the gods of mythology were limited in scope. Right, did you ever study Roman mythology or Greek mythology, right? You have the God of war. You have the God of love. You have the God of wisdom. You have the God of fools. You have, right? There's a God for each individual thing. And even the gods are boxed into those things. And they can't jump from being one thing or another. They're limited in scope and capability. Yahweh, God's point is, you can't rein me in. I am what I choose to be. I am the I am. I can be powerful. I can be calm. I can be angry. I can be just. I can be loving. I can be vengeful. I can be all those things and none of those things at all at the same time. You can't box God in. That was the point that he wanted to create. And so there's something valuable about even understanding before we dive into the statements, I am the bread of life, I am the way, I am the truth. Just the two words, I am, sent shivers down most religious people's back when Jesus said them because it was clear when he was saying, I am, he was saying, I'm God. I'm not just another teacher. I'm not just a good man here to show you a way. I am God standing before you. And that is the two words that got Jesus killed. It had nothing to do with his popularity. It had nothing to do with anything he preached. It had to do with the fact that he stood before men and said, I am God. And some people said, no, you're not. And so understand as we go through this, every time you hear Jesus say, I am, all he's saying is, I am God. That's what he's declaring. Second verse I want you to keep in mind is in John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is only the begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. This goes back to that first point I was making. When you go to the Word, do you see Him? When you go to the Word, do you see Him? Or do you see you? There are some of you who are in love with the way of life that Christianity provides. But you are not in love with Jesus. Gotta change that. They care less if your behavior is good. Guess what? There are non-believers all across this country and world that behave better than you. Give more, serve more, do more to make the world a better place. That doesn't matter. Because you don't earn heaven. Amen. You only get there because when you knock on the door, Jesus opens it and goes, Hey brother, good to see you. Amen. Hey sister, glad you're finally here. You are not going to present him a resume and say, I earned this. And to be honest, for some people, that's enough to make them want to walk out the door. Especially as Americans. We are proud. We are proud of what we can accomplish, what we can do, how we earn, what we make. I've built this. I've done this. In fact, often the hardest men I've ever seen to reach with the gospel are good men who've built great lives. Because they want to look around and go, you think I need saving? 
I'm a success story. I came from nothing. I built a company by myself. I built a loving family by myself. I've got a great reputation that I've built by myself. I've done all these things in my strength, in my knowledge, in my wisdom, by my grit. I don't need a savior. And if they do want to go to heaven, what they want to go is, so I earn it, right? I earn it because I'm better than everybody else. And Jesus' point to those men is, no. You can never earn what I give you. The only way in here is to fall on your knees and realize you're not good enough. And so let's keep those things forefront as we go through these statements. One, all of these statements are a way of Jesus expressing He is God. And two, the point of them is not for you to change how you act. It's for you to see your God. That's the point. So if you have Bibles, jump with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 22. I really wish this passage would be preached more in our country. And especially when I say that to, to pastors. I think we have fallen as churches into the game of numbers. I think so many of us have defined success by how many people are sitting in the building. And we will do anything and everything to get more people in the building. Uh, There's a church in Indiana that I used to go to that uh, during the summer, the pastor actually dresses up as a character from whatever movie is number one at the box office that weekend and then preaches a sermon from the perspective of that fictional character and ties it into the plot of that movie. Whatever that movie may be. While I appreciate his creativity, that's not our job. Our job isn't to show you wisdom in the world. Our job is to come and stand here and go, this is the best message ever given. And we are here to submit to its truth and to its knowledge. And I'm sorry, if you don't find this interesting... If you don't find this enough, if I need to rewrap this for you, for you to find value in it, you're in the wrong place. We want people here who are hungry for God's word and for God's knowledge. We want people here who are willing to submit themselves to God to build His kingdom. We want people here who go, God, I am here to give you all I have and all I am, and I am here to serve you, not God. I'm here for your church to serve me. And we have done that in so many ways where we have created this organism where the church more is meant to serve people, to serve its own members, its own body parts, than it is to be an organism that goes out and does. And so I want you to think about that because Jesus, as He preaches here, does something that most modern preachers would never dream of. In John chapter 6, what we find happening is it's right after the miracle of feeding the 5,000. So I'm not going to read through that whole part, but let me just kind of wrap it up for you. So the day before, Jesus feeds 5,000 men. And when they say men, they were counting by men, which means there was probably 15 to 20,000 people, period. Because there was also the wives and the children's there. So with a couple fish and a couple pieces of bread, Jesus feeds 20,000 people. The next day is where we pick up in John chapter 6, verse 22. So let's read. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, because you had your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set a seal. You see what he says? Let's just contrast this, right, to to how most of us would act today as pastors, right? If we had a big event, and we came to church the next day, 
and there were 6,000 people sitting here, do you think I'd be like, this is terrible? This is, this is, oh man, I'm so upset right now. We had the big hot dog picnic, and now 6,000 people are in the church. This is terrible. <laughs> it's basically what Jesus is doing. He has this big event. They all show up the next day like, we're here for you. And he goes, you're not here for me. Amen. You came for food. Amen. You came because yesterday I filled your stomachs with bread and fish, and you're hoping today I do the same. But you are not here for me. And he's about to dive into probably the most difficult sermon he ever gives. And I will argue that his intention is actually to make people leave. Why? Jesus would rather have his church be small, but passionate. He would rather have his followers be true disciples than to be in volume. And so I'm going to step on some toes here for some of you. If you've been here for longer than a year and you haven't joined our church... I need you to think about why you're still here. You know who we are, you know what we believe, and you know what we want to accomplish. Do you want to be part of that, or do you not want to? If you don't want to, please go somewhere else. And I'm not saying that because I don't like it and that I only care about members. I'm saying that because guess what? Somewhere, God has a church family that He doesn't want you to just be a visitor at. He wants you to be an integral part of it. He wants you to be part of the body. And so if you're coming here and it's just enough to get you by, you're settling for the wrong thing. Keep searching. Go find that place where you will be indispensable. Go find that place where you just won't be another person sitting, but you'll be an integral part of the body accomplishing the work of God. That's what church is supposed to be. If you're going to a place where you can come or go and it doesn't matter, if you're coming to a place where no one knows your name, where no one misses you, where you're not tied in, then you don't get what this is. It's like the difference of being on the football team or going to watch the game. Once you've been on the team, you have no desire to watch anymore. We want people who want to be part of this, who want to be in it, who want to build the kingdom. Now, if you're sitting there and you got questions, ask them. If you've got things you don't understand, let's talk about them. If there's things holding you back, let's have those discussions. But for some of you, the reason you're not joining isn't anything to do with what we're trying to do. It's that you don't want to be counted on. You don't want to be held reliable. You like that you can pop in and pop out at your pleasure and not have anybody count on you. We're a body here. We're a body here. And for some of you, you're sitting there and you're still asking questions, which is great. But guess what, brothers and sisters? What's really holding you back? Is it really you don't hear them? Is it really you don't see them? Is it really you haven't heard them? Or is it that you're not ready to make the decision? I had a buddy I used to work with at the factory. And um, we would talk about God all the time. And whenever I'd get him to an uncomfortable place, he'd be like, well, what about the dinosaurs? And I'd be like, what? Well, what about the dinosaurs? And I'm like, what do you mean, what about the dinosaurs? We're talking about whether Jesus died on the cross for you or not. Well, the dinosaurs, what happened to them? The Bible doesn't even talk about dinosaurs. And I'm like, Are you really telling me that you haven't fallen in on your knees and accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because there's not a chapter in here that clearly talks about dinosaurs? Are you telling me that you believe every other thing in this book about who He is, what He did, and what He accomplished, but the one thing holding you back right now is dinosaurs? Or maybe is that the one thing that you're grasping onto because you're not ready to admit that you don't have any real questions anymore? For some of you, you're there. You don't have real questions anymore. If you're looking for this book to answer every single one of them, stop looking. It will not answer every single question. It will simply give you enough evidence for you to have faith. It will simply give you enough evidence to know what He's calling you to do in life. 
Jesus looks at these people and he goes, you didn't come from me, you came from bread. Then they said to him, what must we do? What must we be doing to do the works of God? And Jesus answered him, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the Word. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen Me, and yet you do not believe. Do you understand the craziness of these people? Yesterday, what did Jesus do for them? He takes two fish, five pieces of bread, and feeds 20,000 people. The next day they show up and go, we want more bread. And he goes, you don't want bread. You need a Savior. And they go, well, if you're the Savior, prove it to us. Could you do a miracle? (laughs) Do a miracle? Why are you here? What do you think yesterday was? Have you seen that before? Have you seen someone feed people like that? Oh, by the way, have you been paying attention? For the whole six months before this, what has he been doing? Casting out demons, healing the sick, preaching with authority. We want a sign. No, you don't. That's why he was what he says. He goes, You've seen me, but you don't believe. You've seen me, but you don't believe. You don't need signs. I've been performing signs day in and day out, and you don't see them as signs. Because when you don't want to believe, you won't believe. It's funny, I talk to people today, like, if there was a God, and He really loved you, and He really wanted to talk to you, why wouldn't He just show up in physical form and talk to you? I go, He did. And we killed Him. Like, He, he tried that tact. He came to earth, he preached, he said, I'm God, he walked with us, he served with us, he loved us, and we murdered him. So don't tell me the thing holding you back is that he won't do that. He did that. If you don't want to believe, you won't believe. And what Jesus is getting to these people is, I don't want you following me. I don't want you tracking me down if you're only here for food. If you're only here to be entertained. And let's be real. For a lot of these people, it wasn't even about food. It was about entertainment. Jesus was the hottest show in town. Everywhere he went, flocks of people went. Everywhere he went, sick people got healed. Everywhere he went, paralyzed people started walking. Right? It was a great spectacle. Now let's be real. Human beings are that way, right? Have you ever done this? Have you ever been like at work or the mall or somewhere and you see a crowd of people? And so what do you do? You go over there, right? You don't know what's happening over there. You've not been invited. But you're like, there's a lot of people over here. I I should probably go see what this is. It kind of reminds me like, don't you hate when you're on the highway and you're in unbelievable traffic? And you're assuming like there's gotta be like a nasty wreck above, right? And you're just and then you get there and it's like one car pulled over on the side, but just everybody's they're driving by, right? Slowing down to tw- what's happening over here, huh? Huh? Yeah. And it's like nothing's happening. But we're just driven to that. We're just driven to those things. And Jesus is going, I'm not here to feed you. I'm not here to entertain you. I am sent by God to give you the eternal hunger that you've been looking for. I'm here to give you something real. Stop settling for so little. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes on him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on that last day. 
So a couple things are breaking out here. First, Jesus is talking about this concept of the bread. He's talking about the bread, the bread of life. And here's what he's basically saying about the bread. One, the bread's eternal. Why? He's the bread. This isn't something new. This isn't something that's just been created. This is something that comes from God the Father who's been around forever. This is the substance you've always needed, you've always hungered for, you've always desired. And my goodness, people, if you ever want to just see that there was a creator that made us, just look at every society that has ever existed. Do you know what all of us do? Worship. Something. A tree, an animal, the sky, a god, ourselves, sports, celebrities, whatever. But in each and every one of us is this huge desire to worship. And what's funny is you don't even have to teach it. You don't even have to teach it. Go to a Spurs game and watch them steal the ball, go down the court and make a slam dunk. Instantaneously, thousands of people just jump up and start yelling. No one gets on the intercom and goes, hey, next time Ginobili steals the ball, would you all please, in unison, jump up and scream? That's the appropriate behavior for that action. You don't have to teach it. It just happens. Why? Because in us, we know we were built to worship. In us, there is this unbelievable desire to be part of something bigger than ourselves. The only thing that changes is what we tie that to. In America, we fooled ourselves into thinking that if I wear you know, a blue shirt with numbers on it and a star, that somehow I'm part of the Dallas Cowboys. And when those guys win, I win. And we're all part of the same team. When the reality is, no, you could not get close to those guys at all. Their security guards would probably mug you and push you away. And they don't really even care about the city they're in because as soon as they get traded, they'll put on another colored shirt and love that town. But why do we buy into this lie that we know is a lie? Because it lets us worship something. And so this bread that Jesus gives is the eternal solution to that hunger that all of us have. The second thing is, it's for God's people. So this this thing that He gives is from the Father to His children, which means you have to self-declare yourself as His child. You have to understand you need this. It's like Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. You can't just sit there. If you're one of those people who goes, I've earned it, I've done it, I deserve it, you'll never get this. You'll never get it. And the third thing is, it provides life. And this is the biggest thing people don't get about Jesus. Jesus isn't a cool guy. Jesus isn't a fun guy. Jesus isn't your homie. Jesus wasn't a wise guy. Jesus wasn't just someone who spoke really cool things. He is life. He's life. When you have Him in your life, you live in a completely different way. I I don't know how to explain it to you you if you haven't experienced it. The closest thing I can give you is the way you maybe felt, and I hope you felt, when you got married or when you had kids. Like, my kids, I don't know how single Luke's brain worked. I can't think like single Luke anymore. It just, it's not possible. My wife and my kids have corrupted everything about the way I think and that I act. There's not a single decision I can make anymore that's just about what would Luke do. Now, don't get me wrong, I make selfish decisions all the time. But you know what happens right after? Immediately it's like, well, what about the kids? What about the wife? Like, you know how bad it is? The other day I had a cookie at lunch and I felt guilty. Because I'm like, I didn't get one for the kids. Man, if Ty sees this wrapper for this cookie, he's going to be like, Dad, you didn't get me a cookie? You went at lunch and took time and got a cookie and you didn't get me a cookie? And I'm like, yeah, no. no. And like, I'm like, why am I even thinking about this? The other day, worst thing in the world happened to me. You guys can just all take my man card. I'm sitting in a meeting, and I'm talking to my coworker, and I go, hey, nice earrings. 
And I said that because I saw the earrings and I knew they were Kate Spade earrings. And then in my brain I went, how do I know those are Kate Spade earrings? Why do I know that? And I know that because my wife likes those earrings and wants those earrings and I've seen her look at those earrings before. And I went, why is my brain even consumed with this? If Jim Gradeless knew his son was like, those are nice Kate Spade earrings, he would be like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with you? But that's what happens. It's what happens. And with Jesus, it's the same way. You don't have to ask me to come to church. You don't have to ask me to pray. You don't have to ask me to read. I don't need to feel guilty about that. I want to do those things. I want to be around Him. And frankly, on days where I find I'm so busy, I don't do enough of it, do you know what happens? You long for it. You miss it. You want it so badly in your life. That's what He's talking about here. It's eternal bread that fills not a physical hunger that comes and goes. It fills a spiritual hunger that defines you. It's a gift that's given by your Father in heaven, designed specifically for you. And ultimately what it brings you is not temporary satisfaction, it brings you life. It brings you life. For all those people who've never tasted it, Jesus' point is, you don't even know what it's like to be alive. You're missing out on so much. There's a second thing he starts to talk about here, though. He talks about the one that consumes it. So there's this bread of life, and then there's a person that's going to consume it. And the first thing he said was right there in verse 37. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For everyone... I'm sorry, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. So there's three things he describes for this consumer. He says the first thing is, is they will come to him. Now, brothers and sisters, what's key to understand in this relationship with Jesus is the only reason we're coming to Him is because He first came to us. It's because of His first actions that He's done. He's the one that initiates the relationship. He's the one that starts the relationship. He's the one that has done all of this to create a desire in us. But when that desire is there, the natural thing is we come to Him. We come to Him. And so, for at least everybody in this room, we know that stuff's taken care of. Something at least drew you to come here. Now, my hope is, is what drew you here is Him. Not mom or dad. Not some guilt that you have that you think you'll wipe out by being at church. Not some sense that this makes you a better person. I'm hoping what's drawn you into this room today is that somewhere in your life, you felt Jesus going, I need to be here. I need to be here. Now once you've come, that's not enough. The second thing you have to do is you have to behold Him. To look upon Him. To analyze Him. To see Him. We were talking this week with the youth about when Jesus called Peter. And when Jesus calls Peter, it's this awesome story where they're in the boat. Jesus has been preaching. It's way past the hours of fishing. And Jesus looks at Peter, this professional fisherman, and he's like, let's cast out and throw our nets out. Well, I love is you can kind of sense the hesitancy in Peter of like, I'm a professional fisherman. <laughs> I spent all day fishing. We caught nothing. Um, this isn't the right time. It's not the right place. This really is not going to work, Jesus. But hey, Master, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. You know, you can tell, like, he's reluctant, like, this is my world, man, I know how to do this. <sighs> okay, I guess we'll waste an hour, let's go do this. They throw out the nets and they pull up so many fish that their nets start to break. They pull up so many fish it starts to sink his boat and another fisherman's boat. And the beautiful thing about Peter is, is while everybody's kind of astonished at this, Peter's the only one that falls on his knees and goes, God, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Amen. See, everybody else is like, that was cool. 
mean, can you believe how many fish we caught? In fact, I, you know, we're talking to the kids, like, most fishermen would be like, hey, you want to come back tomorrow? Do you need a job? We'd love to have you hanging out with us because catching fish like this would be profitable. Peter, he doesn't ask Jesus to come back, though. He falls on his knees and he goes, you should leave. Because I'm a sinner. Because what everybody else saw was fish. What Peter saw was the Creator was standing before him. Peter went, I'm standing before God. And if you're God, you know what I've done. You know how unclean I am. See, Peter beheld him. Everybody saw, but Peter beheld him. And that's the difference. Is is your heart there, not just to hear, not just to see, but to behold and to understand. That's what Jesus wants to see happening. All these people came back for bread. And Jesus is like, how did you miss a miracle? Literally, a miracle just happened in front of your faces and you all missed it. You missed it completely. So much so you're like, hey, can we get a miracle? Just One just happened. Are you beholding Him? I encourage some of you. Some of you I know are trying to be self-disciplined and every day you're praying and every day you're reading. But I guarantee for a lot of you, you're not doing this when you pray or you read. And I'm right there. I'll admit there are some days I find myself reading to read. I should get through a couple more chapters. I should get to the end of this book. Why? Do you think Jesus is going to be like, hey, you know, Luke got three chapters done today. If it was only one, I wouldn't give him any brownie points, but he got three done. I think what he really cares about is, did he see me today? Did he hear me today? Did he experience me today? I mean, husbands, right? We've all done the whole thing like where you're just not listening to your wife, but you hear her. Right? I'm masterful at this. And it drives my wife nuts. Because I, I have great like secondary hearing. Where she's like, are you even listening to what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah. And I can repeat everything she said for the last seven minutes. But if I'm really honest, I haven't actively been listening. My brain has been wandering, most of the time, this place. And I haven't really actively been a participant. I heard... But I didn't listen. Some of you, that's how it is with the Word. You're reading stuff. That's not hitting here. You're not seeing Him. You come to Him, you behold Him. And lastly, you believe in Him. Right? You've come, you've seen, and when you've seen, there's enough evidence there for you to go, I understand what this is. I think that's the big thing I want some of you to get to the point of. It's not about every single question being answered. That will never, ever, ever, ever happen. Has He shown you enough? Has He shown you enough that you can have faith? Has He shown you enough that you can believe that He did die on that cross? That he did spill his blood, not for strangers and not because he was forced to, but he spilled it for you, his children, because he wanted to. Is there enough for you to believe that three days later he rose from the grave? You know what's funny about people? Is the reality is we never don't join Christ because of evidence. We don't join Christ because we're afraid to. And here's why I say that. Most people I know have no idea how a plane works. None. But still get on planes. And still fly. Still are willing to risk their lives. On a contraption, they have no clue how it works. Why? Because there's enough evidence to make me think it's going to work. I hear people talk all the time about evolution. And how well, scientifically there's enough evidence for it. Darwin himself said if there wasn't tons of more evidence in the next decade, he wouldn't believe in his own theory. He admitted, my belief in this is faith. Faith in man. Faith in this way of the world working. Everybody has faith. 
What's scary about Christ is, is that you understand what He's asking for is for you to let Him drive. What He's asking for is not for you to have faith in something that you can kind of ignore. He's asking you to have faith in a new kind of life. He's asking you not just for part of you, for some of you, for your time or for your money. He's asking for everything. I want it all. I want everything you are. And that's what makes people not accept Him. It's not about evidence. There's more evidence for His life and what He did than there is for anything else in this entire world. If you don't believe that this is the Word of God, then I don't understand how you believe the Constitution was the Constitution. I don't understand why you believe Shakespeare was actually written by Shakespeare. Because there's more evidence to prove that the people of God wrote this book as eyewitnesses than there is proof to prove those other things out. Amen. But I don't see us questioning those. We come to Him. We behold Him. And then the big thing is, do we believe in Him? There's one last thing I want to talk about before I wrap. I'm going to sum up because I'm obviously not going to get through all of this sermon here. Jesus starts the sermon talking about how He is the bread of life. What he realizes is his audience is too dense to understand what he's saying. So this is what I love about Jesus. Men especially, please listen to this, because I think so many of us have cast Jesus as Mr. Nice Guy. Jesus is just a nice guy. And honestly, I think it's why you see so few men want to be Christians. Because boys don't grow up wanting to be nice. They want to be courageous. They want to be adventurers. They want to explore. They want to knock down walls. They want to set the world on fire. They want to do amazing and courageous and daring things. And so when they come to church and basically what they hear is, be a nice guy. They're like, that's boring. I don't want to do that. I mean, I love raising two little boys because you know what I love about them? I can put them in the safest place ever and they will find the most dangerous thing to do. We were laughing the other day because we came home, right? And Jake's, Jake's in the living room. We see him kind of looking at the couch. And he's doing, like, you know that little look a toddler gives you where you're like, they're thinking of something. And so we decided, let's figure out what this is going to be. So we just sat on the sidelines and watched him. And he gets on the couch and he starts pushing all the cushions and pillows in the middle of the floor. And we're like, what's he doing here? It took him a while. I mean, there was a lot of dedication for him to do this. And as soon as they were all piled up, he kind of got this smile on him. And he went to the edge of the couch, put his arms out, and just fell. <laughs> just fell into him. And we loved it, because it's like, man, he was like, what's the most dangerous thing I could do in here? You know what? I'm going to create my own game. And so what I love is we, we paint Jesus as this nice guy. Jesus in this whole sermon is just stirring up trouble. Amen. He's just stirring up trouble. So as he, he gets it like, okay, you're not understanding. I'm not going to feed you today. In fact, if you were here for food, please leave. So he steps up the extremeness of his message. He goes, if you won't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't belong here. Now one, for anybody that's extreme. For the Jews, oh my goodness. For the Jewish people, there was serious laws on what you could eat and not eat, what was clean and what was unclean. And blood was highly in the unclean area. And Jesus looks at these Jewish people and He goes, you want to follow me? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. His point? I'm not here to be your friend. I'm not here to be next to you. I am here to be one with you. And the only way that happens is for you to internalize who I am and what I speak. We must be one. Amen. To do that, you must consume the Word of God. You must be part of my life. And you must understand what I'm here to do. And really, for a lot of His followers, the blood was the hard part. They had dreamt of the Messiah coming. The Messiah had been talked about for thousands of years. He was going to be the Savior who was going to raise the people back up. What they could not understand about Jesus is, is He explained to them, as Messiah, I will die. And they're going, wait a minute, no. You're here to set up a political kingdom. You're here to conquer lands. You're here to build an army. And He goes, no, I'm not. Not that way. <laughs> you, you guys are still fighting for the wrong things. 
Again, you would settle for a political dynasty that would last, what, a couple decades? I'm here to give you an eternal kingdom. You want to rule the world? For what, 20 years? I'm going to let you rule the universe for eternity. Stop settling for the little. And so for many of his followers, the hardest thing about Jesus was, is he was clear. I will die. My blood will be spilt. And it will be spilt for you. Remember even Peter, who loved him dearly. When Jesus would talk about his death, Peter would say, never, over my dead body. And Jesus would say, Satan, get behind me. Peter, if you don't get that I'm here to die, you don't understand what my work is. The only way I save you is by dying for you. So don't stop me. Don't stop me. And so the whole point of this sermon, the whole point of the bread of life, was for Jesus to look at these followers who had come to him to be entertained and to tell them, get right. Do not come back to me to be entertained. Do not come back to me to be fed. Come back to me if you're searching for life. Come back to me if you're looking for God the Father. Come back to me if you are willing to start a relationship where we are one. Come back to me if you are willing to understand this isn't a nice to have, it's a must have. Come back to me if you are willing to go to death for this relationship. If you don't want the flesh and you don't want the blood, then go. That's why I tell you, we don't preach this sermon today. Because no pastor looks at a full church and goes, leave. I mean, almost what Jesus was doing here was going, I'm going to preach the hardest sermon ever so that most of you are going to walk out of here struggling with what I said. And what I'll know is, those who stay, they want it. Those who don't, they were never going to make it. They were never going to make it. And so I ask you to get real with your own heart. I ask you to get real with your own relationship with God and ask, why are you really here? Why are you here? If you are here for any other reason than to become one with Jesus Christ, you're here for the wrong reason. Amen. It's the only reason to be in this room. And I ask you, if you haven't gotten right with Him, if you haven't made that relationship, if you haven't fallen on your knees and said, Be my Lord and I will be your servant, why? What's really holding you back? Because I'm seriously doubting that it's an intellectual roadblock. I'm betting it's a spiritual one. I want you all to go to prayer with me now. I want you to talk to your Father God. Not about how you need to change your life, but about how He is life. Let's pray.